This week on Personally Speaking, our guest is Ryan O'Quinn, wonderful producer and actor. Stay with us, please. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti. An actor, producer, author, and comedian, Ryan O'Quinn joins me now. Ryan is the founder of Damascus Road Productions, an entertainment and production company that focuses on family and faith content. He currently stars in the new film, Paul's Promise, produced by his production company, also starring Dean Cain, Nancy Stafford, and Linda Pearl. Paul's Promise is the inspiring story, a true story, of one man's journey of transformation, conversion, and Ryan plays the title character, Paul Holderfield, a former racist firefighter turned pastor who started one of the first integrated churches in the American South. Ryan's television credits include Beverly Hills 90210, Alias, ER, Melrose Place, and Third Rock from the Sun. He's married to Heather, and together they are the parents of Lillian, Haley, and Asher. Ryan's here with us today to talk about his life, his family, his career, the values that matter the most to him, and the importance of family and faith entertainment today. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome, to Personally Speaking, the actor and producer, Ryan O'Quinn. We welcome Ryan O'Quinn on the program. We're going to talk about a great new movie he broke, both produces and stars in. But, Ryan, I've got to ask you a, a question I'm intrigued by. Is there a drop of Italian blood in you? <laughs> that's a very good guess taking a look at my name you're right absolutely but sometimes i tell people you know i you know i'll, I'll say something like that it, yeah, ryan o'quinn people will say where's that from i say oh, can't you tell <laughs> it's kind of self-evident i would think i am the product of an italian father and irish mother so i got the best of both worlds i say half of your sins the other half feels guilty about it so, yeah. <laughs> so, that's perfect i want, I want to ask you uh, rex reed a uh, film critic we were at a dinner together years ago. He used to write for The Post and The New York Observer. But I said, let's do a program on the religious films. And mm -hmm. he said, uh, let's not. He said, because they're always tedious, badly made, badly acted, uh, and they're just, they're, they're not worth it. Mm -hmm. now, now, you're trying to change that game very much, and many others are too. Uh, why now are the films that have a, a religious perspective so much better than they were 30, 40, 50 years ago? Yeah, good question. Well, firstly, let me say that we are squarely standing on the shoulders of those that have come before us. And mm -hmm. and while I wouldn't I wouldn't argue that um, quality was lacking early on, but I would also make the case that you know that that's the case in pretty much any any industry, particularly any art, any medium for sure. Right. You know, you've got to kind of get your footing. And so early on, I just I applaud the pioneers that went before us in this genre and tried to. Uh, you know, put butts in seats. That's what it's about at the end of the day. When you want to get the message out and the project out and the product out, you want to get people to see this. And so you're exactly right. The trajectory of where we were to where we are now, uh, mm -hmm. we, we've come so far. I mean, it's not uncommon to see household names headlining a faith a faith film. So, right. you know, we and I think, you know, part of that is, and speaking on squarely standing on the shoulders of, of those that have come before us, we have to applaud um, the passion of the Christ. I mean, it was the... It was mm -hmm. the real 
in 2004, when Mel and Jim did what they did, it was, uh, I mean, it's no secret now that they went to every studio in town and everybody said, no, this will never yeah. work. Nobody will come. Nobody will see this. And, right. you know, there's some semblance of last laugh involved there. But when that happened, that's when distributors really started perking up and said, among other things, mm-hmm. the faith audience um, has discretionary income. When you give them a product that is worthy of seeing, they will turn out. And then at that point, all the distributors sort of collectively and figuratively leaned forward and said, how can we be a part of this? And so that's kind of where we find ourselves now. It's not as difficult to get a movie into to theaters as it was, you know, 15 years ago. Okay, Ryan O'Quinn is our guest. Ryan, let, let me ask you, though, I, I often worry with films like Paul's Promise um, are we going to be preaching to the choir again? How do you manage to get out to a wider audience? Uh, with a program like this, I, I've always made a point of saying I'm, I'm not just going to have believers on. I want to have agnostics and atheists because I want to expand our whole consciousness of discussion about the reality of believing. We had that wonderful actor, uh, Ed Asner, on a couple of years ago, and he identifies as a Jewish atheist. And I said to him, you know, as a, as a 90-year-old, are you still a Jewish atheist? And he said, well, I'm still Jewish, but as I get closer to the end of my life, I'm hoping you people are right, you know? <laughs> and I, I would hope that, that films like yours would be able to touch on people who say, I don't really believe in anything, but I'm, I'm open to being persuaded. How do you reach yeah. them? Well, one of the boons that we have with Paul's Promise in particular is the fact that it's a true story. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's a real true story. I think when you have elements in a feature um, that is a, that's a biopic, and I'm thinking of uh, recent past examples like um, I Can Only Imagine and I Still yeah. Believe. It's tr- real stories, true stories about people. I mean, you get, go a little bit wider um, and look at The Blind Side. You know, that yeah. is, is arguably a faith-based movie, but it's a true story. So I would suggest, and with this movie in particular, um, there is some semblance of knowing who's going to be in the audience because we have some some semblance of a built-in, uh, quote, church audience that we are pretty sure will show up. But... Mm-hmm. There's also this element of the true story aspect. And when you think about the marketing of feature films, the, your, I often say your shotgun scatter of a marketing demographic gets so much broader when it's a true story. Because you and I can argue with people about our faith. We can argue about what's real and what's not. But you can't mm-hmm. argue with someone's true story. Right, you, can't, right. you can't argue with somebody's real life. So in this case, it was a real life true story of someone who made a complete 180 in his own personal life, and it was all because of his faith, and that made all the difference. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about Paul, who had this 180 conversion. Um, In some ways, I also think the film should be very popular in that it addresses uh, Paul's earlier experience of being someone you'd have to call inclined toward racism. Um, But I mention that because we're, we're certainly, as a country, still debating, still divided, still set one against another. Where, where were you coming from, Ryan, in terms of uh, your understanding of racism? Did you ever know it growing up? Did you ever see it? Did you ever identify it in yourself? Um, where have you been in terms of this great American divide of, of white against black, unfortunately? Yeah. Well, I think we are in the zeitgeist right now of, of the discussion and of the conversation, which is another reason that I think the, the movie is timely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the movie is set in 1967, and in some ways we've come a long way, and in many other ways, we're exactly where we are 50 plus years ago. I, I'm reminded yeah. of a Time magazine article. Um, you know, I think Time republished a, a magazine article from the mid 60s uh, when we were in the midst of all the unrest in this country in, in, in the summer of 2020. And it was just an interesting uh, take on an yeah. African-American man running down the street. Ironically, he had a, 
a covering over his face, had a mask over his face, not unlike we all did, you know, during that time and, and, and was, was being chased by police down the street. And it was, it was exactly whatever it was, 45, 50 years later, they republished the same um, Time Magazine article. So when you look at something like that, you think, man, the discussion has to continue right now. In answer to your question, I grew up, not unlike Paul, I grew up in the American South. So I grew mm-hmm. up in Virginia, uh, in the, the southwest corner of Virginia, right on the Virginia-Tennessee border. And Paul, uh, Paul Holderfield, who the movie is about, by his own admission, was a, uh, a bigot. He would often say a bigot. If you, if you pressed him on it, he occasionally used the word racist. He was a, uh, <laughs> by his own admission and in his own words, a ne'er-do-well. Um, his the interesting piece about his life, one of the interesting um, um, highlights was that he had a black best friend growing up. So in his childhood, he and his best friend, Jimmy, um, were both sons of sharecroppers outside of Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay. And so they grew up both poor, both only knowing that this is my best friend, really just somewhat colorblind in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the outside world looking at these two guys, you know, uh, you know, in middle school hanging out together. And mm-hmm. then, again, uh, both of them, after the fact, said other people got involved, other people spoke into this, and Paul, again, by his own admission, fell into the wrong crowd, was influenced by those around him. And then in the 1960s, it was unheard of to be seen with a black man, you know, if you were white in the American South in some settings. And, and we know the, you know, the, the, the sordid history that we have in this country. But um, uh, Paul had a complete 180, thanks to a, uh, a praying mother, hence the, the title of the movie, Paul's Promise. He promised his mm-hmm. mother on what essentially was her deathbed that he would look into this faith thing. He would, he would as a favor to her, look into this Jesus thing and just, you know, <laughs> just take a look at it. And uh, it's, there's a little bit of the rest is history there in, the, in that it completely turned his life around. And among other things, Jim, he said, uh, I've examined the Bible. R- racism is not innate. It is not biblical. And he started what is one of the first, um, you know, uh, integrated churches in the American South and still going to, strong today. Now, let's talk a little bit about your own ministry, if I can call it that. Um, sure. Ryan goes to college, William and Mary, and he's a uh, He's majoring in both government and the arts, uh, two wildly different in some ways. Somewhere along the line, you discerned, Ryan, that you could have a more powerful influence on, on, on the whole world by working through the arts. What went into the discernment to say, I could go into government, uh, I, could, I could make a difference there, but I, I think I'll take the chance, and it's a risky chance, of going into the arts? Yeah, well, firstly... I, uh, I double majored in theater and government, partly to appease my parents and partly to appease my, myself. We had no ties to the entertainment industry whatsoever, and I was wow. squarely set on the path to become a lawyer. That, that's just what I, I, I planned to do early on, what I thought I was going to do and what my parents assumed that I was going to do. So I was on that government track. And then, but I was always very interested in the arts. I grew up in a small little coal mining town in Virginia that didn't have a lot uh, by way of, of artistic expression. But we, we figured it out, and we found it where we could. And I was involved in the forensics program there, for example. Mm-hmm. And then once I, once I was able to, at William & Mary, dive into the theater program, I really knew that I had a, a bent, a passion for that as well. So I, I set out on a track to double major. And then once it was time to, to graduate and figure out next steps, I honestly, I had this this calling to the ministry in some way or another. And I, I really sought, uh, I prayed about it. I sought the Lord about it. I really wrestled with this. Is a is vocational ministry and seminary in my future? Am I supposed to go to law school? I actually ended up deferring it at law school just to give myself a breather, just to see if that's really what I wanted to do. And honestly, I felt like 
that um, the mission field can be in our own backyard. And there, and mm-hmm. through a whole lot of, of uh, influential folks in my life and some great mentors, I, I chose the path of entertainment and, and loaded up and moved 3,000 miles away from everything that was familiar to me. And I ended up here in L.A. where I am now. And um, arguably, I would say that, that you know, 30 miles, uh, a 30-mile radius from where I'm sitting right now, so goes the world. For better mm-hmm. or worse, and oftentimes that's for worse. But uh, with our company at Damascus Road, we attempt to greenlight projects that uh, that um, at the very least uh, will have people at the end of the film or television show say, "Oh, I never thought of it that way," or mm-hmm. we'll look up and and you know say, "Man, there's something there's something bigger than I am. There's something more powerful than me." So while we don't always have an overtly evangelical message in all of our films, we will at the very least have a modicum of what I often say, truth with a capital T. So after one of our films, people will go, wow, hopefully, uh, you know, with, with, when the lights come up and people are sweeping popcorn and mouths are agape, <laughs> right. some, somebody will be sitting there going, I, I didn't think of it that way. So that's a yeah. long-winded answer to your question by saying, I still feel like, and, and thanks for saying that, that what we do, despite the fact that, uh, you know, we're in the heart of Hollywood is a ministry, and that's exactly the way we yeah. view our company. One of the uh, co-stars with Ryan is Dean Kane, who in most people's minds became popular through the Superman series. But when a mainstream actor like him or Mark Wahlberg decides to go into what some would call films of a rel- religious perspective, I'm just wondering, do they in any way marginalize themselves? Do they take a risk in doing that so that Hollywood will say, well, they're, they're just uh, kind of religious fanatics. We don't have to take them seriously. Or has Hollywood, as you said earlier, decided that uh, you can go back and forth between mainstream and religious films and still have credibility. Yeah, well, I, you know, you, you probably have to ask them, and I, I'm putting words in their mouth, but certainly knowing Dean and and uh, and, and Jim Caviezel and others like that, you know, there mm-hmm. are, there are some excellent actors that have um, that have decided that the the quality, the content of the messaging is as or more important than mm. laurels sometimes. And so uh, we've done four pictures back to back with Dean Kane, and he's, he's one of those guys that really, um, honestly, and, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, but he, he doesn't all, he doesn't uh, rely on agents and managers to say, how much are they paying me? He really genuinely evaluates the content and looks at the content of a script and then decides whether or not, it, you know, he, he can add to that or be a value add to that project, which which I appreciate. Wahlberg, same thing. You know, a case of somebody who's who's probably at the top of his game. And in a recent interview, you probably saw this. In a recent interview, um, he said that he had made mistakes in his career and missteps along the way, and and projects that now he would not take. You know, if he if he could, if his younger self could speak to his older self, there are things that he wouldn't do in his career, which is interesting to a guy who you know the world looks at and thinks they they have it all. But but now he has the capacity to make decisions to to take projects that really impact culture and, and change the trajectory of, uh, you know, of someone's humanity. So. A couple of years ago, Dean had done a, a film uh, highlighting the horrors of abortion, and I remember mm-hmm. watching it, loving that it was made into a film uh, so people could know the truth about the extent to which we uh, terminate the unborn. But I, I thought to myself, God, this guy's going to be so blacklisted, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm glad that people like you keep giving yeah. him good, good roles and good jobs. Now, let's go back to you for a second, Ryan. You go into the arts, um, anyone in the arts, at any level of the arts, says there's, a, there's wonderful times and there's times when you are waiting for that financing or you're waiting someone to say yes. And how do you deal with downtime, disappointment, rejection? How does Ryan deal with that? Yeah, good question. And certainly thick-skinned is, is the name of the game. 
Uh, as you may know, I've been an actor for 27 years. So my, my thick skin training certainly came in those <laughs> early years as an actor. You know, you're, 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 uh, I don't want to deter any, anyone listening from being an actor, but you know, the name mm -hmm. of the game is rejection much of the time. It's, it's at some point, it's a numbers game and you hear no more often than you hear yes. And that was yeah. certainly the case with me early on. It was a little bit of, uh, you know, a, a big fish in a small pond when I, when I came from, uh, from university and I thought, well, you know, here I am. And I'd done some, some commercials and had an agent in Virginia and, and had done okay. And, uh, all of a sudden I'm, I'm thrust into, you know, the heart of Hollywood where everyone, everyone is talented, arguably. And, you know, there's, there's a set of stars all around you. And, and, uh, you know, I had this, I was sitting in my apartment in West Hollywood and I remember, uh, okay. The headshots check, uh, agent check. I've got a phone number at the time, a pager. Uh, okay. Well, where are you? I've done all, I've done my job. Why are they not calling? Right. But, uh, you know, it is a, it's a certainly an up and down business. And, uh, you know, I, I, I often say once we once we um, sort of parlayed um, an on camera career into I often say accidentally falling into producing, which is exactly what I did. I never set out to be a producer and then I, I wouldn't really know how to get off the bus in L.A. and, and claim that I was one, but <laughs> sort of accidentally fell into it. But as an independent film producer, there's this harvest season and a fallow season. You know, you certainly spend uh, are sometimes a year raising money and then a year making that movie and then another year raising money and then a year making that movie. So there is definitely, you know, in my case, a, a roller coaster. You have to surround yourself with good people. My my wife of 21 years is my business partner mm -hmm. in every sense of the word. She's the, the vice president of our company. And, you know, uh, we really rely on each other and we have a great team, a great staff here at Damascus Road. And so surrounding yourself with good people who know that there will be harvest seasons and and times to, you know, dig in and, and plant the seeds. Uh, and so, you know, we, we've, we're still doing what we do after all these years, thankfully. Actor, producer Ryan O'Quinn's our guest. Now, Ryan, uh, let's you, you. it's a perfect segue because I'm always intrigued by people like yourself and making uh, the most important decision of your life. Who am I going to share that life with? Uh, when you look back on the years you spent with Heather, when you met her and were dating her and considering building a life together, what did Heather have that made you say, there are a billion women out there, but this is the one. Yeah, we became we became great friends. Honestly, we were really mm. close friends uh, with step one. Uh, I'll just give you a, a quick little funny story. The first time we met, I was doing a television show on NBC called The Single Guy. And okay. ironically enough, I, I was exactly that. And so <laughs> we met at a, uh, you know, at a, at a Hollywood party. A friend of mine who was a co-star on the show had a, had a party here in L.A. And I didn't know anyone at the party except for the host who had invited me. And Heather was in the same boat. boat. She had been invited by the, the, the host, but she didn't know anyone either. So we sort of found ourselves as wallflowers watching all these people interact at this party who knew each other. And so that was kind of the, you know, the first thing we had in common. And so uh, as we started talking about, um, you know, just, just friend, honestly, it was friendship in the beginning and, and for us and probably for many others as well, we, I, I found myself wanting to spend more time with her than anyone else. And that, mm. that friendship blossomed first. And so, you know, you have a, you have a keeper when when you you know you you wake up and go to bed thinking about that person and that person who just and it sounds cliche and bumper stickerish no, and no, t-shirt yeah. slogan but the person that completes you i mean it, it sounds yeah. kind of weird but that's really what it was and so you know we've had our share of ups and downs not unlike uh, you know anybody who's who's endured two decades of marriage but um right. you know i can't i can't we've got three beautiful kids and and uh you know we still we still go to bed smiling every night so i just thank the lord for that that's a wonderful thing ryan you know a lot of uh, 
parents, grandparents watching or listening to a program like this would be intrigued by the fact that, uh, you know, you put together a, a, a book on raising children as well as a book on marriage. But I'm wondering, do you and Heather have any particular insight? You love your faith. You love your God. Is there a particular right or wrong way to see that that seed of, plant, that seed of faith is planted in these, these children you treasure so much? Yeah, and that that really was honestly even before we got married, we we had long, um, good conversations about exactly that. I am an only child, which probably mm. explains a lot. But and Heather, <laughs> Heather is one of three. Uh, but I knew that I wanted more than one one kid, and so you know through premarital counseling and th- through some good mentors in our life, we really talked about the goal of having kids and what that meant and, and training up the next generation. You know, I, I wear a bracelet every day that has Proverbs 22 on it. And, and it just reminds me to, you know, train them up in the way they will go. And so that was a, a real cornerstone for our marriage, um, knowing that the ultimate goal was to, to raise up the next generation in our case of, of believers behind us. And mm-hmm. um, uh, the book, the books uh, are comedy version, you know, the, 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 uh, the kids' book, or the, the book on parenting, rather, came first. It's called Parenting Rules, colon, mm-hmm. The Hilarious Handbook to Surviving Parenthood. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's really, I, I refer to it as kind of a bathroom book, and, and uh, you know, it's just <laughs> anecdotal quips that uh, that you can pick up and read really quickly. But from our own real, you know, I, the, the, uh, the um, excerpts came from my time on tour as a stand-up comedian, and my stand-up mm-hmm. comedy spawned out of my real-world experience with my real-world kids. When I came off the road doing stand-up, I had three kids under five. And so, wow. uh, needless to say, Heather was ready to pull her hair out and mine. I was on the road <laughs> about 120 days a year. But the time I was with my young kids, comedy ensues. And so I, I wrote a book about that and then a comedy book about marriage, which Heather, whose name is not on the cover, but it very well should should be. She was my co-author in the uh, Marriage Rules book. And so um, if there is any any key, you know, I would say humor has been at the heart of, of our entire relationship and, and you can't take yourself too seriously. And so, again, we've managed 21, you know, almost 21 years this year of, uh, of laughing with and at each other. <laughs> Sense of humor. Now, I want to focus on that for a second. Jonathan Rumi, who, you know, plays Jesus in The Chosen, sure. uh, was talking about visiting a church in Texas where uh, he found the complete absence of joy, that they were very devout. Mm. But no, no sense of being uh, aware of the greatness of the fact that he died for us and he rose and was saved and all that good mm-hmm. stuff. And he, he wondered why Christians sometimes are known by a seriousness of purpose, but not by joy, not by humor. So I'm intrigued then. Ryan, how did you come to see I can be both believer and laugh? Yeah. Well, Jesus is the author of joy, you know, and, and that's biblical. First, let me say that Jonathan is a, is a great actor. I had a chance to, to spend time with him recently on a movie called Jesus Revolution, which I highly recommend that Lionsgate mm-hmm. and the Irwin brothers are doing. Uh, he plays Lonnie Frisbee uh, in the, you know, the, the, the uh, Calvary Chapel movement. Uh, anyway, the film comes out in February. You won't want to miss that. In addition to seeing him, of course, on The Chosen regularly. But um, I will quote a, f- a friend of mine, comedian Ken Davis, who, <laughs> who I may butcher the quote, but he, he's a, a Christian comedian. And he says uh, something along the lines of, 
the, the Lord has, has done it. He's already died for all of us. This is a <laughs> joyful moment. Hey, church, tell your face. <laughs> the premise being that sometimes, you know, we, yeah. again, that, that moment that Jonathan's probably referring to where, you know, it, there, there's a bit of sometimes a sour or a dour or a, yeah. a somber mo- movement in the, in the church. And, and, you know, it's it, it, tell your, tell your face, comma church with a capital C it's, it's okay. Yeah. I've read the end of the book. I know how it ends. And so, you know, for for my own life and faith, certainly humor has been a, a huge part of that. And and uh, yeah. you know, sometimes I occasionally, with my friends, will we will find excerpts from the Bible that just make us laugh out loud. I mean, the, it's again a, a bit of a cliche slogan to say all the answers are in there, everything is found in there. But it's true. The answer, the the reality yeah. is, it's true, and it's filled with. I mean, Hollywood has nothing on the Bible, right? I mean, it's filled with thrills and <laughs> intrigue and deception and murder and, and just all anything that you've ever wanted in, in a storyline is found in the Bible. And so and humor is no exception. So I would encourage anyone to to look for that and to remind ourselves, you know, as Christ followers, it's going to be OK. We're taken care yeah. of. That's Laugh right. out loud. We have a reason for rejoicing. I often say in our Catholic community that folks come up to communion looking like they've lost their best friend. And I said, <laughs> hey, if you really believe this is Jesus, then shouldn't you be thrilled to be taking him into your own person? And, and I wish there was more joy. And you do that in the way you present everything that you do, both in the movies and writing, which is mm-hmm. wonderful. Ryan O'Quinn has been our guest. Ryan, in the closing moments, I want to ask you, uh, for folks listening to a show like this who say, this, this false promise sounds like something, especially because it's a real-life story, that I might want to know more about. How do folks get to see your film? Yes, thank you. The easiest way to, is to go to paulspromisemovie.com. Okay. So uh, at that website, paulspromisemovie.com, you'll see a trailer for the film, of course, which gives you some more insight and understanding. But also there is some uh, there are some tabs for theaters, uh, so you can see where it's playing nearest you. We open in theaters nationwide on October 21st. Okay. And if there's a theater uh, or, or a zip code where the movie is not playing near you, there's a demand tab. <laughs> it's exactly ah, what it sounds like. Okay. You can click that button, pop in your zip code, and we'll try our best to get the movie in a theater near where you are. But uh, I, I'm so proud of this film. And, and I think that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the zeitgeist is now. Uh, uh, I think mm-hmm. more than ever, America needs to to examine where we are, where we've been, and and take a look at how one man's life. This this man stood up to the injustice uh, of the time and said, "Not on my watch." And I think that we have the capacity to do the same thing even today. I want to thank Ryan O'Quinn for being with us. You know, in some ways, as I listen to you, Ryan, it's reminding me of the myth of Sisyphus that to get a a film produced and. Uh, and well put together that says something important is an uphill battle and that ball keeps rolling back over you time and time again but you're such a person of of hope and confidence and trust that the message has to be heard that you don't give up and and that tenacity that dedication is is really inspiring thank you so much ryan for all you do well thank you i appreciate that and let me let me just say thank you for all that you do and thanks for having me on the show i'm a big fan and i appreciate you helping us get the word out thank you thank you as we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you need to reach me, you can write me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to this show or past episodes by going on YouTube and searching under Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jimosanti, where you'll be able to watch shows as well. And please don't forget to click like and subscribe. Personally Speaking is also on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jimosanti. We're also now on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. Please share and let others know about Personally Speaking. 
I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, personally speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.